0: I'm a bit of a theology geek, and I really found this out on my first year of seminary when I dove headfirst into the intellectual pursuits of it. And then at the end of my first year of seminary, I took a class called Mindfulness and the Art of Stone Carving. I thought it would just be fun. But we actually learned a lot about the practice of mindfulness in many world religions and then how it related to the process of stone carving, how you had to listen to the stone and pay attention to it and that it would tell you how it wanted to be carved. Because if you try to carve a stone into just whatever you want, the cracks and the fissures in them won't let you. So you have to start by chipping away what needs to be chipped away, and let it sort of emerge gradually in conversation. So I started carving my stone over this week intensive class. And I thought that the stone was telling me that it was supposed to be this beautiful woman. I saw her back first. And I started chipping away and creating her back. And then about Wednesday or Thursday of the week, I got to the head. And I was chipping and chipping gently, trying not to make any mistakes. And with one little chip, (laughs) her head popped off (laughs) and rolled across the table. (sighs) And I sat there for a moment and looked at it. And I shed a tear, and my teacher came over to me and sat next to me and said, she doesn't have a head. <laughs> and I said, yes, you're right. She, in fact, does not have a head. And it actually turned out that I, I found a quite, a, quite a lesson in this, because I had been entirely in my head for about a year, and had completely forgotten that there was this whole rest of me So I finished this sculpture, and I cherish her, and she is a headless woman that is emerging out of stone, unfinished in places on purpose, still jagged in places, but it taught me, and it reminded me that I needed to be in my whole body. It was a wake-up call. I couldn't live in my mind alone. I could no longer ignore my body. My body was crying out to me through that stone. All of the stimulation that had been in my life for the past year was only in my brain, and my body was starving, yearning to be awakened, to be stretched open, to welcome the new learnings of my mind into itself. I had to shake those learnings that were all up here into my body to let them begin to settle in. Before that, there wasn't any integration, really. They were merely thoughts floating in the vastness of my own mind. Until they became one with my whole being, flowing in my blood and breath to penetrate each muscle and bone, they weren't a part of me. I would continue to have to learn them, over and over again, until they merged with my flesh. Matthew Sanford, author of Waking, a memoir of trauma and transcendence, speaks of the reconnection between his body and his mind. At 13, his spinal cord was injured in a car accident, and he lost his ability to walk. After discovering Iyengar yoga many years later, he discovered a strong connection between his mind and the parts of his body that doctors told him were no longer in communication with his brain in any way. I had the privilege of attending a yoga workshop for a weekend with him last year, and he's perhaps one of the most embodied people I have ever encountered, and he's paralyzed from the chest down. In an interview with Krista Tippett on her public radio show, Speaking of Faith, he said, I think my mind-body relationship continues to heal as I practice yoga and pay attention and be in love with the world. Before I started yoga, I really did feel like a floating upper torso. And now I'm talking to you with my whole body. It's like yoga poured water on me and through me. And I was really dry and kind of tired before, and there was so much more here that needed, that needed to just kind of be here. And so I practiced yoga not just to become really great at yoga poses. I practice yoga to feel this, my body. He describes the need for a balance between the strength of body and strength necessary for surrender to the body, in order to be able to practice yoga. And he says, and I'm now, just now, after 15 years of yoga, understanding this word more deeply, and that's surrender. And it comes from being more present, surrendering to the world, feeling more. And I don't mean intellectually, it's that awe feeling. That's really strong but your heart feels vulnerable when you let yourself be in the world like that, and that's why we avoid it. Now, I see Sanford as a modern-day mystic, for what he describes is what connects the great mystics across religion and time. God cannot be reached by the mind or intellect. We cannot understand the holy with our limited brains as magnificent as they are. Divinity is too large to be shoved into our minds. To reach God, one must surrender to practice. Contemplative prayer, meditation, yoga, dancing, whirling, just to name a few. Through practice, we fully understand ourselves and look inward in order to empty ourselves and become one with the sacred. Mirabai, a 16th century Hindu singer and poet in the mystical Bhakti tradition writes, "O friend, understand, the body is like an ocean, rich in hidden treasures. Open your inmost chamber and light its lamp. Within the body are gardens, rare flowers, peacocks, the inner music. Within the body, a lake of bliss. And in the white, soul swans take their joy. And in the body, a vast market. Go there. Trade. Sell yourself for a profit you can spend. Mira says her Lord is beyond praising. Allow her to dwell near your feet. Our bodies are intricate masterpieces of creation. All that they are capable of is indeed astounding. They are constantly dying and being reborn in each moment, all at the same time. Our skin, for example, is constantly shedding its dead cells to make room for the new layers that are becoming. Vast numbers of conversations are occurring within the cells of our beings in each moment. Not just conversations between our brains and our bodies, a lot of these happen beyond our conscious mind. When we aren't getting enough oxygen, we yawn involuntarily in order to take more in. Our bodies just know what nourishment they need and where to send it within itself, and they just let go of so much that's unnecessary. They hold so many beautiful and heart-wrenching truths about life. And yet, they are so full of mystery. Even in this age where medicine has found out so many answers, there's so much that's beyond our knowing. There's so much yet to explore. And within our own bodies, we know that these are our only vessels that we have to navigate this earth and seek the path that will lead us home. If we but listen to them, Our bodies speak to us in remarkable ways. They contain some of our greatest joys and hold some of our darkest pains deep within them. Moments of joy and celebration live uh, within us and can be called by small things. We are often drawn to those who elicit some joy within us that we cannot explain. And perhaps they are evoking some memory of a time when we felt loved or whole. A gentle embrace can send us right back into the arms of our mother. A smell can transport us home. Has anyone ever experienced something like that? But just as our joys can be conjured up out of nowhere, so too can our pain. Trauma takes hold deep within our flesh and bones. And those pains and fears will live in us, festering and gripping onto us until we release them from our bodies. Some of our most difficult moments will forever affect our involuntary actions and reactions if we do not set them free from our physical selves. This cannot be done by mind alone. Years of thought and therapy and study cannot shake those traumas free or reprogram the reflexes that have been developed in response to them. Those who have experienced traumas of the likes of abuse, sexual violence, or war experience triggers that cannot necessarily be understood by the mind. Something small and seemingly insignificant can recall the pain and fear of moments long ago and transport us back to that moment in a real physical way. Michael Matthew Sanford describes how the trauma of his car accident lives in his body like this. I had no memory of that day at all. I had a lot of post traumatic flashbacks where I was encountering that my body held the memory. And in fact, I had left my body to avoid the pain. But what I had done is made my body absorb it alone. So as I started to reconnect to my body, I had to reconnect to the fact that it was conscious in a way that I hadn't thought was even possible. I can feel the skid off the bridge. I can feel where the blow came from, my lung collapsing. I had trouble breathing. I can feel that angst. It's all in my body. This short-term strategy of leaving our bodies is natural. In fact, it's quite remarkable. It's a coping mechanism that allows us to deal with trauma we might not be able to deal with otherwise. Letting us only take in as much as we can handle at a time. Using our bodies to absorb what we cannot grasp with our vulnerable hearts or limited minds but it can only be a short-term solution or it will remain and continue to live with us. We must return to it, explore it, release it. When we have the courage and presence of mind to remain in ourselves during pain, it actually lessens that pain. And when we return to it, we can lessen it as well. We can set ourselves free from it. Sanford's process of reconnection led to a presence, a sense of awareness, a kind of sensation that he'd never reached before. He calls his paralysis a teacher of presence. From letting out the feelings of trauma, from engaging in relationship with his whole body, and from listening to the teacher he unleashed, he found a deep peace, a contentment beyond happiness a hum, an energy that surged in him and awakened him. He describes the sensation of settling into our bodies as similar to when you're really, really tired and you finally get into bed and you have that sinking feeling and you're laying there and you feel that, ah, relief. And you feel like you're falling even though you're just laying there and you keep falling, because you're so tired. It's a landing, he says, a grounding. It's a feeling of embodiment. He goes on to say, there's a reason why when my son, who's six, is crying, he needs a hug. It's not just that he needs love. He needs a boundary around his experience. He needs to know that the pain is contained, and can be housed, and it won't limit his whole being. He gets a hug and he drops back into his body. Has anyone ever noticed that in a child, how they drop back into their body when you hold them when they're hurting? Have you felt it yourself? Whether or not we have experienced dissociation to get through some kind of trauma, the process of learning to surrender to our bodies takes work the lessons and learnings the body holds are great. And the way the body speaks to us can be so subtle. It takes practice to listen to the energy that connects our body to our mind. How often do we get in our own way when there's no rational explanation for what we feel in our bones or our hearts? How often do we tell our sensations to be quiet or take them for granted? How often do we tell ourselves that what we feel in our bones can't be true? When have you disregarded something that you felt deeply because you valued your mind as utmost? Or have you so divorced your body from your mind that you cannot completely feel what's surging through you, like I had at my first year of seminary? Can you truly feel that every cell of your being is sacred? Can you give over completely to whatever the path of love, wherever the path of love might take you, even if it greatly differs from your plans? Can you let your sacred, open heart lead you where you need to go without second guessing? Can you surrender completely to yourself? It's certainly not easy but it calls us to move when we engage in it, to shake the pain out, to learn to hold ourselves, to break with the norm by not just listening to our bodies but letting them move us. Now I went to a Unitarian Universalist church some years back and I, I had a similar experience but this one was particularly interesting and hold, I hold it in my, in my mind. Uh, a beautiful piece of jazz music was played by the musician. And it was a rowdy one. And I felt my body start moving. And I looked around and no one was moving at all. Not even a little bit. So I immediately felt uncomfortable, right? Because I was moving a little bit, enjoying the music, and no one else was moving at all. Has anyone ever experienced that at a Unitarian Universalist congregation or at any other congregation? It can be really hard to move when everyone else is still. And Unitarian Universalists can have a hard time moving in worship. Contemporary praise music is designed to get us out of our heads and into our bodies. The lyrics are simple and repetitive so that we aren't stuck thinking about them. And sometimes I get to that place with Spirit of Life because I know that song well enough that I can just sing it without having to think about it. But there's something special about getting outside of your head. The music is alive in order to try to awaken that spirit inside us that yearns to move. Do you know that kind of music that I'm talking about? The kind that brings you to some mystical place? The kind that stirs you up, that makes you feel like you should move? It can be hard sometimes to allow yourself to give over to that spirit, especially if no one else is giving over to that spirit. It can be hard to allow yourself to be fully in your body and let it lead you where it will. But as hard as it can be, it's necessary. For the consequences of disconnection are great. Sanford said, In my opinion, when mind separates from body, we get more self-destructive. We get more destructive in general. If we're more separate from our own selves, we're more separate from each other as well. And as you're more in your body, you do feel more connected to people. You think about the importance of other life. And when you're a part of the world, it's much harder not to feel compassion about the world. As embodied beings, the intimate connection between each tiny element of our being is ignited. We are unified with ourselves and with the divine spark within us. We settle into ourselves and our place in the interdependent web of all existence. In deepening our relationships to ourselves, we deepen our relationship to creation and become one with all life. As we settle in, as we surrender within, we cannot help but worship our own divinity. As we connect to the earth, we can sense the life that pulses through this natural world, and we cannot help but be awed by it. As we connect with one another, we are overcome with empathy for the humanity we encounter, and we cannot help but praise all that is our lives and the lives of our fellow creatures when my beheaded stone spoke to me, I started a process. It is, of course, ongoing. With all of the analytic, hermeneutical, and exegetical processes of theology that I had studied in seminary, in musty libraries, and discussed at great length in classrooms and over pitchers of cheap beer at our local dive bar, until we'd so exhausted the topics that the words didn't mean very much to us anymore. With all of that, embodiment has been indeed essential. It's been a process about taking all of those floating theories and bringing them into my whole being, putting them into action, practicing the theoretical so that it becomes real, embodying all of my learning. Surrendering into myself. Falling deeply into who I am. It's a process, a practice, and it hasn't always been easy. The body can resist to learn even those truths that our head and heart fully embrace. Sometimes it feels like that same lesson keeps getting hit over my head over and over and over again because I just won't learn it. Has that ever happened to anyone else? But if we are really lucky, we have a community like this one where we are caught when we fall, people who hold us accountable and hold us in forgiveness. Surrendering into my body is naturally opening me to the world. It's evident outwardly in the way I hold myself. My heart starts to shine forward, opening, ready to welcome whoever or whatever might come my way. My hands started to turn upward and open to receive the surges of life and love that are present all around me. I move with some more fluidity and freedom, less constricted, more willing to take a risky road or deviate from my planned path. I open, as we heard in our reading the peonies do, as the sun strokes me with old buttery fingers. And all day the black ants can climb over me, boring their deep and mysterious holes in me. And all day in the shifty wind, as in a dance to a great wedding, I'll bend my bright body and tip my fragrance to the air and rise. My legs holding all that dampness and recklessness gladly and lightly. And there it is again, beauty blazing open. When I'm able to let go all of my fears and self-consciousness, I cannot help but be carried away by my faith. I am called to action. I am opened and compelled to be moved by the joyous music of life all around and of my companions here singing. I am overcome by my desire to offer a full-bodied kind of praise. Raising my arms or dancing, Free of fear of judgment or consequence, I offer praise from every tiny cell of my being. I offer praise from the depths of my soul and the pit of my belly. I offer praise with my feet firmly planted on the earth and my head swaying in the clouds, full of dreams and visions of what we might create together. I offer praise with my arms outstretched, to a sense of that which is beyond words and rationalization, but is undeniable. And I offer praise with my arms open to embrace each of you, to share my love for you as deeply as I love myself. Won't you join me in praise? Amen. Amen.